If you're a guest with us, I know we have several guests today. We're sure glad you're with us today. I'm Pastor Eric, and we're, we have been on a reading plan as a church. And if you would like to join us in that reading plan, um, they are there at the table in the back, and there's also some at the Welcome Center. But we're reading the book of 1 Corinthians right now. And I've been preaching on 1 Corinthians as well. Uh, but we would just invite you to uh, join with us if this is your first time to join in with us on the reading plan. It's been really, really good as we've been reading 1 Corinthians. Has anybody been enjoying it? Amen. Has anybody else been enjoying it? Amen. Sometimes we forget to read it, huh? But hey, let's get back on the, the plan. And, and But if you want to do that, we've made several copies several times because a lot of people want that. They lose it and then need another one. So... So over the last, I'm, I'm calling this message in the series, uh, The Power of Correction, because 1 Corinthians, that book is really all about Paul bringing correction to the church. And so we are on chapter 10 today of, of Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, excuse me. So if you do have a Bible or an electronic Bible, that's where we're going to go is, for, is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and you can all go ahead and make your way there if you would like. <clears throat> One of the things that I have, uh, have noticed that in, in my own life is sometimes I resist correction. Does anybody else resist correction? And I would like to, for us to make a positive confession today, if we don't mind. Would you guys mind making a positive confession with me and say this, I love God's correction. Let's say it like we mean it. I love God's correction. Whether that correction comes through his word, whether it comes through spiritual authority, whether it comes through our spouse, whether it comes through a teacher, whether it comes through a boss or some other authority, whether it comes from a police officer. The Bible says we are to love correction. And what I'm finding as I've talked to several people as we've been through this series and there's been a, uh, an admission of, wow, I didn't realize how much I don't like correction. And so I want to say it again. Let's say it all together. I love God's correction. Mm, some of you, I can feel it. I love God's correction. Father, today, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for 1 Corinthians 10. I thank you for this whole book as Paul is beautifully, masterfully, systematically bringing correction to a beautiful church that you call your bride. And that, these passages that we're taking in today, God, I thank you that you're even correcting New Covenant Worship Center, this church. I thank you that you are bringing correction to our lives, that you're changing the way we think about certain topics about certain things that you highlight in the Word of God. And I just pray, God, that we would be a people who love your correction. So, God, speak to us today. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are going to fine-tune this message to each person based upon the area that you're trying to bring correction to their life. That is what you do best. So, God, I thank you for it, and I just thank you, God, for breakthrough today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. The other thing that I'm really happy about and thankful for as I'm reading 1 Corinthians that has really relieved a lot of, um, I would say, unspoken pressure that I put on myself because 
1 Corinthians is addressing problems in the church. And, And the New Testament writers, not only Paul, but the other New Testament writers, if you look about at the New Testament, all of them were bringing some type of correction in the Word of God. And sometimes as a leader, when there's problems in the church and there are problems at New Covenant, no. Just like there's problems in your personal family. Just like there's dysfunction in your personal family. Sometimes we act like there should be no dysfunction in the church. And sometimes as a leader, I feel this pressure to fix problems that are not my problem to fix. It's called false responsibility. Because it's your responsibility. Yes, I may be part of the, you know, holding you accountable and calling you higher, but I can't change anybody. I can barely change myself. And it's only when I submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ that actually change comes to my life. Anybody got, agree with that? And so, yes, we're to help correct each other and we're to help hold each other accountable. But the ch- we should expect problems in the church because we're broken vessels. We leak. We create messes. But we're becoming like Jesus. We're, we're, God is taking us on a journey to make us more like him. Can I please have an amen on that? And so you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Please don't put me on a pedestal. I'm in process as well. And God is working on me just like he's working on you. And Paul and these writers are bringing some great direction to us. And so in in 1 Corinthians, and just to give you a quick review, because I know there's different people here and every week is a little different, but I want to just give us just a brief review of where we've been. Because some of the things that God has used this letter to do he, in 1 Corinthians is he's corrected disunity in the body of Christ, and he's corrected the church for their disunity and their arguing. He's corrected them on how they viewed leaders and their prideful position. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, and there was this division and separation, and uh, we're the ones right, you're the ones wrong, and he was trying to bring the unity and them back together. He's brought correction in all kinds of stuff like uh, uh, lawsuits among you. He's talking about marriage, what's right in marriage, what's wrong in marriage. Should I divorce? Should I not divorce? What's the legal grounds for divorce? What's not the legal grounds for divorce? What about virgins? What about single people? What about, I mean, he's going through all these things and, and they are asking him. What I love about this is that he, in, this, in, the, in this book, he keeps going, and as for this, and he, then he deals with an issue, and for this, and what he's doing is he's, he's talking about what they've asked him about. So this church wants correction. They're asking him, what, should, what is it okay for Christians to do, and what is it not okay for Christians to do? What about marriage? What about this? What about food sacrificed to idols? What about this? And they were asking Paul to give them clarification on what are the things that they can as Christians do and what can they not do. And so a couple weeks ago, I talked about the gray areas of Christianity, the areas where the Bible doesn't exactly say, yes, you can do that or no, you cannot do that. And that many Christians think, because that's what the food sacrifice to idols, though we don't have people sacrificing animals to idols anymore. We have our own idols. We have our own things that we're dealing. And I tried to bring that two weeks ago into kind of our world and, and, and our culture. What was Paul trying to get at when he was saying, well, when he was talking about food sacrifice to idols? And I dealt with two things. And um, 
you know, there's a lot of Christians who think they can do this or they can't do this. And I use two examples because really what Paul was trying to do when he was talking about food sacrificed to idols, he was saying to them, if eating meat causes your brother to sin or offends them, I would rather you never eat meat again. And so what Paul was trying to do in chapter 8 was he was trying to give the, get them to give up their rights for the benefit of others. Do you guys remember that? What he was trying to do is he was trying to say, if something you're doing in your life is causing someone else to sin or be offended, he says, I would rather you not do that thing. And so I challenged us. What are the things in our life? What are the actions and the way we're walking our lives? Are we being considerate of other people in how our actions affect other people? Because people are watching us. Believers and non-believers are watching our lives. And the Bible says our lives are not our own. And so we think we have the right to do whatever we want. I can wear this. I can, I can, what about, I talked about modesty in dress and how I could talk about alcohol. And we talked about all kinds of different things two weeks ago. If you want to know what I said, go back to the podcast and you can read it. Because Paul is saying, you say you have the right to do this. But if it's going to hurt somebody else, don't do it. You guys are with me on that? Don't do it. Oh, Eric, that's your issue, I said. I'll let you go back to that and, and take a look at that. So, <clears throat> the gray areas of Christianity, what can a Christian do and what can they not do? And um, so what, what I want to do is by the end of this message, I've, I've got four considerations that you and I must keep in mind when we discern what we can and cannot do as believers. And I'm going to give you four things by the end of this message to where, is it okay for me to do this? These are my four considerations. Is it okay if I go do this and go da-da-da-da-da? Then I need to look at these four considerations that Paul outlines in, his, in, the, in the passage, and we're going to discuss that today. So you guys good with that? All right. Are you willing to let God correct your thinking? All right. Well, what I'm going to do is we're going to jump right in. How are we doing for time? Okay. We're going to jump right into 1 Corinthians now, before we read this, I'll tell you what, I'll go back. Before we read this, stop. If you have your Bible with you, I don't, on, on the top of my heading above chapter 10, it says, warnings from Israel's history. Does any of your Bibles have that heading above this chapter? Warnings from Israel's history. Let me ask you something before we read this. What is a warning? Help you to avoid peril. Warning, if you look it up in the dictionary, is something that warns and serves notice of imminent danger or hazard. It's a warning. A warning implies that if it is not heeded, it can cause death or serious injury. So, like a tornado warning. What's the difference between a tornado warning and a tornado watch? The warning is more serious. Watch, conditions are likely for a tornado. Hey, warning, it has been spotted, and it is a high likely. And what do you do? A lot of people, what, they go to their basement, or they go into a small, and they heed the warning so that they remain safe. So as we approach this scripture, Paul is going to use Israel's history 
to bring a warning from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And it's a warning for us that we need to heed as believers. So what I'm going to try to do today as, is I'm going to unpack the warning he brought to them in the context of where they were at. But I want to bring that into application into our lives. And what is the warning to us that God is trying to bring to us so that we apply that warning to our life correctly? Does that make sense? Because what it is is the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it actually divides and pierces and brings correction and change to our life. So that's where I'm wanting to go with this. So now let's read the scripture. For I do not want you, Paul is speaking, Paul the apostle, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the facts, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now there's a warning here. And I want to unpack what he's talking about. Because if you don't know the story of Moses and the children of Israel, God's people, the Israelites, were in bondage for 400 years in slavery. They were enslaved in Egypt and they were forced to do hard labor, and they were forced to be under the rule of the Pharaoh. And they, they, they did that for 400 years. They forgot what freedom was. If you think about 400 years, that's longer than we've been a nation. Long time. A lot of water over the dam, right? A lot has happened in 400 years. And so as they're coming out of this slavery, God sends Moses into Egypt and he sends him there to deliver God's people, which is exactly what Jesus did, to deliver us. He sends Moses in there and the children of Israel, there's a million or two million of them, and they come out of Egyptian bondage, they go into the desert and they are headed back to the promised land, their home country. They're, they know where it's at. It shouldn't have been of that long of a journey. But they spent 40 years wandering in the desert because of what? Because of their disobedience. And so here we pick up this story that our ancestors, our mothers and fathers, they were under the cloud. So remember, there was a cloud that was above them during the day. And the cloud would move, and the children of Israel would move with the cloud. At night, there was a fire, and they would move with the fire at night. So when the cloud moved, they moved. When the fire moved, they moved. God provided food, manna, bread from heaven. It would fall like dew in the morning. They would go out, and they would eat manna. There was water that came from the rock. The rock poured. If you can imagine a million or two million people getting water, that had to have been a huge stream of water coming out of that rock in order to water their animals and the people. So think about the supernatural presence of God in the desert with God's people. This actually took place. This isn't a story or uh, something that's been made up. This is real. It happened. And the, imagine, if you would, if you were in the desert. Anybody been outside in the last few days when it was almost 85 to 90 degrees? How was the sun? 
How long did you want to stay out in the sun? Imagine the love of your father providing a cloud over you all day in the, in the de desert heat so that you don't get sunburned and that you're protected from the sun. What about in the desert? When How cold does it get in the desert? You don't realize it gets cold in the desert and a fire by night. God in his supernatural presence, their pre the presence of God was with them tangibly, visibly, seeing the presence of God. Are you with me? And so he's warning us about something here. And I'm going to get into this as we continue. And what's really sad, they drank from the same spiritual drink, the spiritual rock, but nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So imagine how many people did not make it to the promised land. What is the scripture that comes to my mind is, Broad is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few be there that find it. That there is a path in God that we as Christians, there's a warning here, that we must stay focused on the path of Jesus, of, of, of sanctifying and giving our life constantly to the Lord. So let's go look at verse 6 now. So this, what happened to Israel in the desert, they didn't please God Many of them didn't make it through. And it says, now these things occurred as examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by destroying angels. Wow. Pretty stiff stuff there, right? If we go back to the story with Moses, Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was getting the Ten Commandments from God. God was speaking to him, and God was carving on stones the Ten Commandments as, as Moses was meeting with God. And this scripture about they got up, drank, eat and drank, and go, indulged in revelry, what did they do? Do you guys remember the story? They, they made a golden, golden calf. They melted down their earrings. They melted down all their gold. And, he, and Aaron, the priest, he, he made a golden cow. And they began to worship it, and then they sat down, and they ate and drank, and indulged in revelry, which was sexual immorality, partying. And I'm going to dive into the word revelry here in a minute, because it'll help us as we apply it to our lives. So let's keep going. We only have 13 verses we're going to look at today, and then we're going to dive in as I begin to try to unpack it for application for our lives. These things happened again to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. Say, it's a warning for me. On whom the culmination of ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Well, there's a lot in this passage, but I began praying and saying, God, 
where do you want me to go with this? What, what, what are you speaking to us? And what is, where do you want me to go? What's the warning that you're bringing to New Covenant as we apply this to our church from the Scripture? Where we are not dealing with meat sacrificed to idols today, are we? So God, how do you want me to apply this scripture? And as I was praying, I was just like, Lord, what are you trying to warn us of? And so here's what the Lord put in my heart, okay? The first words there is that really stuck out to me was, I think it's in the one before that where it says, how, how, do, how do we set our hearts on evil things as they did? So I was like, Lord, how does New Covenant, how do the people here in this, this church, how do we set our hearts on evil things like they did then? There's a warning that don't do that. Don't, you think you're standing, but, but be careful not to fall. How do we play in the realm of setting our hearts on evil things? How do we do that, God? They were tempted... Just the way we are, there's no sin. It's all common to man. Every, we all sin in the same ways, in different ways, but it's all common because sin always brings destruction. And so there were three things in this passage that, that the Israelites did. And, and, and so I took those three things and I broke them down. The three things that the, the children of Israel, how they displeased God in, in Exodus is, number one, they had idols. Number two was sexual immorality. And number three was complaining and grumbling. And so I just brought those things, even for my own life. And I was just like, Lord, where, where does New Covenant have idols? Eric, where do you have idols? And we'll ask you that, that. Where are your idols? Yeah, you're not carving a statue and you're not sacrificing meat to idols. But where are your personal idols? Or maybe I should say, what is your American idol? Because <laughs> even in the entertainment world is an idol. I'm not saying that because McKinley's in it. I'm saying we idol, idolize people, right? And then I ask myself, Eric, where is your sexual immorality? Israel's three issues. And where do you complain and grumble, as Israel did? And so I ask that as well to you, is where is your own personal sexual immorality? It may be in your mind. Where do you complain and grumble all the time? I mean, how self-aware are you of your own idols, your own sexual immorality, and your own complaining? Now, I'm just taking you down... The, the, how God speaks to me. He does all this a little differently. So, you know, again, what I do is I look up the word idol. I look up the word worship. What are the idols? You know, of course, we know what an idol is. It's a wor idol is, is <clears throat> the worship of someone or something other than God as though it were God. And so, um, and, and worship is to show love and adoration for something or someone. And so I went to, I went to the Lord and I was like, Lord, what were the Israelites worshiping? What were they idolizing? I realized they carved a calf out of, out of gold, but that really wasn't their idol. 
I mean, yes, they carved it, and it was an idol that they bowed down to. But what was the idol that they were worshiping? Was it really the golden calf? I got some proposing to do to you. I propose that they didn't want God to be their God. They wanted to be their own God. You're going to see where I'm going with this for a moment. The words the people sat down to eat and drink and get, got up to indulge in revelry, they really wanted to be able to do whatever they wanted to do. They didn't want someone in authority over them to tell them what to do. They really wanted to be their own God. They really wanted to be able to revel. They really wanted to party. They really wanted to indulge in the things that they wanted to indulge in. Now, that doesn't happen in America, does it? Now, I want to remind us, when it says they sat down to eat and drink, they weren't sitting down to alcohol. Unless they brought vats and vats and vats from Egypt, the only thing they had to drink was the water from the rock. And the food that they were eating, could have been, they could have sacrificed their own animals, but God was providing the meat for, or the, 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 the manna for them. And then when they complained, he, he provided quail for them because they didn't like all the manna. They didn't like the manicotti. No manna bread, right. May I propose that Israel's idol was self and that they were actually bored with God in his presence. This is what the Lord put in my heart. The cloud by day, the fire by night, the food of manna, the food of quail, the water from the rock. Modus is gone for 40, 40 days. And the food that God was actually giving them was not satisfying them. The water that God was providing for them, the shade that God was providing for them, the fire that God was providing for them was not satisfying their selfish desire. They wanted the leeks and the onions from Egypt. They wanted the wine. They wanted something better to taste. They wanted different food. They wanted something different than God was giving them. Ever been there? Food God was giving them did not satisfy self. The water God was giving them did not satisfy their desires. So they indulged in pleasure, sexual immorality, and partying and complaining. Now here's where it gets close to home. May I propose to you that we're no different. <laughs> Our idol is also self. <laughs> Our idol is also what we want. And I'm talking to myself as I talk to you. I say we have the cloud of God's presence each week here at this service. Do we not? The, God, the power and the cloud of God's presence is here every Sunday. The fire of God's anointing is always here every Sunday. Do I have a witness? But we take his glorious presence for granted and we get bored at church. Not everybody. We get bored with the spiritual food he feeds us and the water of God's word that we drink and we treat him as common. 
We have a cloud of his presence here. But what we'll do is we'll get distracted by our phone. We'll get distracted by conversation. We'll get distracted by you name it. The mind goes all over the place. We get up 10 times. We get up. We move around. We can't stay focused. We are sometimes bored with God's presence. Maybe not you. I have to admit at home there's times where I want to get in God's word or I want to get into worship or I want to do something and the cell phone's going bleep 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 bleep. Anybody else get distracted? My full intentions is to get into the presence of God and to enjoy his presence and bubble pop starts calling my name. TV starts calling my name. Karen starts calling my name. <laughs> she is a good distraction. If we'll really admit to it, sometimes reading the Word of God is boring. We don't understand it. We don't comprehend it. Sometimes prayer is like a rock pile. Oh, God, I'm coming to you again. Don't know what the heck to say to you. Help me. <laughs> It's not any much like a relationship anymore. Maybe that's not you. Maybe I'm just the confessions of a preacher. There's a joke. A lady was complaining about her husband not wanting to go to church. He goes, no, I don't think I'm going to go today. She said, honey, you got to go. No, I don't have to go. I'm fine. No, you got to go to church, honey. People are dependent on you. Honey, I'm fine. I think I'm going to stay home and go golfing. Honey. You're supposed to preach Sunday. <laughs> Do you ever take your God's presence for granted? Do you ever get bored? Do you ever get bored with God? Because Israel got bored with God, and so did the church in Corinth, and they were looking for ways to indulge in pleasure and entertainment. That's what they were doing. And so when I looked up the word indulging in revelry, the Greek word for indulging in revelry I thought was very, very interesting. And this is where I'm going with this. The Greek word there means to be at play, to amuse oneself, and to have fun. What is our culture addicted to? Play. Amusement, having fun. It even has the issue of lack of seriousness and to allow oneself pleasure. And so the word amuse really stuck out to me. And so I looked up the word amusement. And the word, word amusement means anything that entertains, brings pleasure, or is a diversion. What is an amusement park? I don't like roller coasters, but some people are really thrill seekers for them. I pull muscles on <laughs> roller coasters. I couldn't walk for three days after going down a log ride one time. I'm not into that kind of amusement. Maybe you are. Our idol, I suspect, is self-pleasure and self-entertainment and to be amused. 
is what I'm pulling from this scripture. That the children of Israel got up to have a party and there was sexual immorality involved with it and there was lewdness that was involved in their little, and I could use terms that I won't use today, let's just imagine it was not a godly situation. It was sexual immorality. My question is, what amuses you and what entertains you? What brings you pleasure and diverts your attention from God? Paul warns us, and I know this is a little heavy message because it's a warning. And I'm giving us a warning as New Covenant. What gets your attention? What is fun for you? What is your amusement? I have been humbled over the last six months because mine was food. My idol was food, W-A-S, was. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul says that in the last days, people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And my question is, is are we addicted to pleasure and fun in America? Fun versus being responsible. The word responsible, see, with freedom comes responsibility. But here's the question is, and so as I was praying into this, I was like, God, where... Where is uh, New Covenants, or where are the people of New Covenants? Where is, their, where is their pleasure going? Hopefully it is you, but I think what we do is sometimes it's God, and then we get distracted, and it's other things. Sometimes it's God, and then we get distracted, and then it's other things. And we're in this war, and so I'm not sitting here to bring condemnation. I'm saying, if you're doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing, hey, bring it to the blood of Jesus. Bring it to the cross. Say, man, I forsake that, and I'm going to let it go, and I am going to get my pleasure from God. Can I have an amen on that? I'm not here to condemn. I'm here to, we're, we're wanting to move the ball down the football field. Sometimes we get sacked and we're back at the 20-yard line, but I think it's time to buy, pass some Hail Marys. I think God's calling the church to a level of holiness that we've not been walking in. So here's the question. Tell me where you spend your time and where you spend your money, and I'll tell you where your idol's at. Where do you spend your time and where do you spend your money? And, and we'll find what amuses you, entertains you, distracts you, and what your idol is. And Paul's warning the Corinthian church, just as he's warning us today, about these inferior pleasures for ourselves and our self-pleasure, and that we're to turn them over to God and get our pleasure from him. And so then I went to the Lord and I said, okay, Lord, so where are we spending our time? And so here's where I'm going to give you some statistics. I'm going to give you statistics of where America is spending their time and their money. And the first few areas, and this information, now, trust me, um, I realize that Google is not the gospel. Google does not have all truth. But I did look on Google, and I looked up some surveys of about how Americans and Christians are spending their time and their money. And money is being spent on alcohol, drugs, tobacco, sex, and food. That's a big part of where, if I was to sum up the money being spent People are spending an ungodly amount of money on food in America. It is amazing. I won't go there. That's not where I felt like the Lord wanted me to go. Alcohol, drugs, tobacco, and sex and food were the biggest place of money being spent. But the biggest place that Christians and Americans are spending their time is in the area of internet usage and screen time. 
This will shock you. The Zipia.com survey, the average screen time for Americans is seven hours and four minutes. Per day. Now, I realize that there is some of that that's work-related. The average phone time, three hours and 43 minutes, or five hours and 32 minutes. Two surveys had two different times. I'm just saying anywhere from three to five hours. 34% of that screen time is watching TV and 14 is movies. So 48% of our screen time is for TV and movie entertainment. 16% of that time goes to video games, 12% online videos, 9% social media, 9% other. And for some reason, that's not 100%, so there's 9% lost somewhere in there, and I'll let you put in the category. <laughs> they couldn't do their math. But several sites stated that, roughly. Here's how the generations do it. The screen time for generations, Gen Z spends seven hours and 18 minutes. They're the big ones. Millennials, six hours. Gen X, six hours. And baby boomers, three. I don't know how much screen time you give. That's not my point. Here are some of the physical effects of screen time. Headaches, insomnia, depression, anxiety. Problem-solving skills are lowered. Chronic neck issues, chronic muscle and back issues. Brain fog. <laughs> Thought that was COVID. <laughs> I'm more concerned about the spiritual effects than I am even of the physical effects. Because Paul's warning through the scripture that we're reading that there's imminent danger if, and we're headed in the wrong direction and that there could be serious cause of death or serious injury. And I think if we don't correct our kids and our culture and where we're going with media and everything that we're going to send. There's a warning of where we're headed as a nation if we continue to indulge in our time in this way. Now, I realize that, that screen time can be good in our spirit life. I realize we can do worship, Bible studies, scripture reading, sermons, devotions, and, and all that kind of stuff. And dear God, I use that. I mean, I, that's where the bulk of my screen time is. Is definitely in those areas. And I hope that that's what most Christians are doing. And I pray that your six to three hours is spent seeking God in that time. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10... Paul then goes on to say, you have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. You have the right to have that kind of screen time, but it's not necessarily beneficial. You have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Not one should, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Now, in this screen time, there is binging of Netflix, there's binging of shopping, there's binging of gambling, there's vid binging of video gaming, there's binging of social networking, cyber sex, videos, TV, uh, all kinds of stuff that gets pushed into this realm of what you feed your spirit, man. If you feed it junk, you get what? If you feed it good stuff, you get what? So in this warning, Paul is correcting the church 
and he's moving them away from their indulgence and their self-centeredness and their focus on their entertainment, their sexual pleasure, all that kind of stuff. He was attempting to move them and correct them from self-focus to other focus, to God-focus. From what was pleasing themselves to being more concerned about others and how they can serve others and how they can focus their affection and their desire on God. And that is who we are. We are people who are focused on the presence of God. That we are not lovers of pleasure, but we are lovers of God. Can I have an amen? amen. So where Paul begins to sum this up is in the next passage at the end of chapter 10. And here's where I'm going to give us four Areas, and I want you to take a picture of it, of this and the reading plan, or the, our homework, our action plan. But here's how Paul sums up this issue of the warning that he gives them about Israel's history. About them seeking pleasure and sexual immorality and idols and complaining. It was all about, you know, even the complaining was self-focused. Even the complaining was about what they wanted. And their desires. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether they are Jew or whether they're Greek or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be what? Everybody say that loud. Saved. Paul's focus was getting people saved. God, Paul's focus was not himself. Your pleasure is not your focus. What about getting people saved? What about helping people come to know Christ? Follow my example as I follow Christ. So in his summation here, he tells us Christians what we can and what we can't do, believe it or not. In this summation, he tells us what the, that, that if there's a gray area, he tells us what is lawful. Is it okay for a Christian to do this or is it okay for a Christian to do that? He really sums up, can I drink? Can I smoke? Can I shack up? Can I, feel, can I free this or free that? Can I wear this clothing or not? Can I eat meat? Can I smoke pot? Can I watch whatever I want on TV or the movies? Can I party with friends? Can I come to church or can I stay at home and do whatever I want? So when you're struggling with whether you should do something or not in the faith, number one, is it contrary to God's word? Let's, let's place that. I mean, but here's, here are four considerations, four things that you must consider. Whether your screen time or whether your activity, how you dress, how you eat, whatever, here are four considerations that we must keep in mind when we are to discern whether we are to have freedom or whether we have freedom to do something or not. You ready for them? Please take a picture of this. The four things to ask yourself, should a Christian do this or should a Christian not do this? Number one, does it glorify God? That's what Paul said at the end of chapter 10. Does it glorify God? And so what I call this is God first. Everybody say God first. God first. Is what I'm about to do going to bring glory to God, or does it defame his name, or does it conflict with his word or his nature or his expectations? 
as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Is what I'm about to do, is it something that's contrary to God's word and his nature? Is it going to bring glory to him? So if the Bible says, flee from sexual immorality, you already know that sexual immorality, if I partake in that, it is not going to bring glory to God. Can I have an amen? Now, there's a lot of people that say, well, that's not sexual immorality. Man, it's not about how much I can get by with. If you're asking how much I can get by with, you're already on the wrong foot. The second thing Paul says is, does it edify others? Everybody say with me, others second. Will it build others up or will what I am about to do hurt, offend, or cause someone to sin? Will it put a question mark in their mind and make them wonder if I'm a Christian? It is the test of love, the test of charity. Will it show love and help others or will it hinder others? Everybody say, others second. What is the biggest complaint about Christians? You know it. Everybody complains that we're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Because we have eyes watching us. And we have, God's, Paul is trying to tell people, you, your life is not your own. You must realize that people are watching you. And it's what I'm getting ready to do. Is it going to edify and build somebody else? The third area is, does it help me? Everybody say, me third. So God first, others second, and I'm third. Most people try to put themselves first, Right? That's contrary to the gospel. That's contrary to the word of God. Amen? Me third. What I'm getting ready to do, will it build me up in my faith or will it draw me closer or pull me away from God? Well, I can tell you right now, my entertainment and the amount of time I spend watching TV, if it's not good programming... I know where it's turning me. I'm not saying you have to have only Christian programming. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying is what you're partaking in, is it going to draw you closer to God or is it going and help you and build you up or is it going to pull you away? Does my screen time pull me away from God or does my screen time pull me towards God? Does my screen time bring me entertainment and self-pleasure or is it helping? Number four. Could it control me? Could it form an addiction? I just have to have it to sleep. I just have to have it so my social anxiety or calm me down. A little drink at night just helps me sleep better. I get that. Or pick me up. What, what, will what I'm about to do control me? Does it control others? And could it control me? I think those are four considerations to look at when you're saying, hey, is this something I should be part, partaking in? Or is this something that I should not be partaking in? Okay. You guys cool with that? So here's my proposal for our action plan. Applying this to our life. You can do these four things or you cannot. Because guess what? There's free will in the body of Christ. Consider a media fast with me. Would you consider doing a media fast with me? an entertainment fast, a pleasure fast. I don't know what your entertainment, your pleasure, your thing, 
what's distracting you from God, but would you be willing to fast it for 21 days? <clears throat> because we don't want to be people who are focused on pleasure, but focused on God. Can I have a man? This is a time of refocusing on the Lord and getting our pleasure and entertainment from him. I can remember people in my family when they were talking when we did a media fast last year. <clears throat> they had several breakthroughs in prayer because they were spending more time with God and his presence than on all the entertainment and all the media. Would you consider possibly engaging with us in this? Will you deal with your boredom in God? Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not bored with God, but maybe you are. Ask God to forgive you for your disinterest in him. Ask him to wow you. Ask him to awaken your heart. Ask him to help you. And here's what I really suggest. Get your sacred rhythms book that we read out last summer. Get that thing back out and start reading it. And we still have extra of those. If you don't have one and you're new to New Covenant, they're 10 bucks. We'll get you one. If you can't afford it, we'll give it to you. I don't care. But it is a... It is about spiritual disciplines and learning how to enjoy God, how, to, how silence and solitude and, and, and Alexio Divina with the scripture and meditating on the scripture, how it helps you draw closer to God. And number three, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 11, do a hear journal or Alexio Divina on that passage. And here's what I say, go to the park, go someplace, wherever it works for you, and read it over and over and ask God to speak to you. Then apply it to your life and obey him. And obey him. And then we're going to memorize James 1.13. And if you haven't noticed, we are on the 13th verse of James, and we're memorizing the whole chapter. Stand up with me, if you will. It's 12 o'clock. If you wouldn't mind, put some music on, Clayton. I'm going to lead us through a time of prayer and really repentance, to be honest with you. You know, Paul gives this warning from Israel's history. And in it, he says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Sometimes we think we're further along than what we actually are. And I just want you to kind of get quiet with the Lord. And ask him right now, Lord, what are you, how are you wanting me to apply this to my life? What are you dealing with me on is my screen time, is my entertainment, is it really distracting me? Is it really drawing me away from the Lord? Am I really focused on myself that much? My pleasure is really my God, my stomach. Is really my God, my, my selfish desires? Have I taken you for granted, your cloud and your presence here at church? Am I, am, I, am, I, am, I, am I bored with you? Just ask the Lord some questions. Just say, Lord, what do you want from me? I want to obey you. Just tell him that right now. God, what do you want from me? I want to obey you. I want corrected. Tell him. Say, God, I want corrected. I love correction. What do you want me to give you today, God? Maybe you're here today and you haven't given Jesus Christ your life. Maybe you've come in and you're far, far, far from him. I want to help you. I want to help you be devoted to Jesus Christ and to give your life to God. Come to me as soon as the service is over. I will help walk you through 
giving your life to this King of Kings and this Lord of Lords because he's drawing your heart to him right now. If you don't know him, he is knocking at your door. Will you open the door to him? Will you say yes to him? Most of the people in this room are professing Christians. What is God wanting from you today? How is God wanting you to apply this message to your life? I've tried to build some scenarios. And this message is worthless if you don't do something with it. This message is worthless if we don't take the warning that Paul was giving the Corinth church and realize ourselves, we can disqualify ourselves by not heeding to his warnings. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person here today, God. I thank you for 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I thank you, God, that you're warning us through your word to, to refocus on you. Father, there is some entertainment and there's some choices that all of us make, God, including myself, God, and I submit them to you today, God. I ask that you would forgive us, forgive me for my distractions, my diversions, my pleasures, my self-focus. And Father, I pray this week that God, as we press into these scriptures as we press into your word that God we would continue to surrender lordship to you may your kingdom come may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven father we surrender our life father I'm reminded of what your word says in Matthew 4 11 God if you want to be my disciple you must deny yourself take up your cross and follow me God we desire to follow you. God, I thank you that you're purifying us. You're, you're bringing us as a church into a holiness and a reverence and a, and, a, and a yielding to you. So, Father, deal with our hearts as we go through this week. And, Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. May the Spirit of God go with you. We love you. If you need prayer today, feel free to come up. If you're here today, again, and you have not given Christ your life, I will be up here and I will help you come to know Christ. God bless you and have a blessed day.